Well, good evening and welcome back to worship tonight. Uh, I don't know about you, but when the groundhog said spring was coming soon, boy, he nailed that today, didn't he? <laughs> this guy's getting good. Uh, what a beautiful day. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're all together and glad we're here tonight. I also know the first rule of public speaking is to know your audience. And tonight's Super Bowl, uh, probably 50% of the audience is excited about that, and 50% of the audience says, what's the Super Bowl? Um, so I'll, I'll try to be mindful of that. Um, and my, my sermon really has one point. Some of you say that's one more than normal, but it really, <laughs> it has one point tonight. Uh, I, want, I want to invite you to open up. Uh, I want to show you several texts, though, to make this point. The first one will be in Jeremiah in just a moment. Tonight is the new month, and we have a new theme, and our theme this month is Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And so all through the month of February, we're going to talk about this calling that God has placed on us as His people to be people of peace. Now, what's interesting about this topic is Jim and I set down about a year and a half ago and put together the schedule that we've been following for the last year and a half. We didn't know a year and a half ago that our nation would be going through what it's going through right now. It is an extremely divisive moment. If you've been following the news, if you just turn on your TV, it's no secret that we live in extremely contentious times. Uh, politically, uh, you can pick your own news channel and find whatever view you want, tearing down and yelling at the other news channel and the other perspective, both sides of the aisle. Social media, if you turn on Facebook or Instagram, someone's yelling at someone else and tearing someone else down. Every conversation that takes place today seems to be this zero-sum game that you either agree with me or you're absolutely wrong. It's so bad that yesterday I saw, it was a, it was a Facebook video posted by Channel 5, Minnie Mouse beat up a security guard on the Las Vegas Strip yesterday. <laughs> Did you guys see this? Someone dressed as Minnie Mouse took out a security guard. Now, when Minnie Mouse is attacking people, you know we live in very contentious times. I mean, that's taking it to a whole new level. But it's not just our country. What is your family like? You're not allowed to talk. What is your family like? I mean, how much, how much contention is there in your own family? Or maybe someone you work with. You work in a, what we call a toxic environment where everybody is at each other's throat. Everybody's stabbing each other in the back, trying to get ahead. Or what are we like at church? I think Wilshire's blessed to be a place that's quite peaceful. Not all churches enjoy that. We live in extremely contentious times. So the other day I was kind of struck. I am something of a political nerd. And so the, the impeachment hearings have been kind of interesting to me just to watch the nature of debates and how people make different arguments. But I was especially struck at the beginning of one of the day's impeachment hearings in the United States Senate, Barry Black serves as the chaplain of the Senate. 
And to begin the day's hearings, he opened with a prayer. Did you know our Senate does that every day? And this part of his prayer caught me. He prayed, Lord, eliminate discordant static with the music of your wisdom. Eliminate the discordant static with the music of your wisdom. All the static, all the noise, all the contention, if the wisdom of God would break through that so that we would be the people he calls us to be. So really all I want to do tonight is kind of show you that this is really a big deal to God, that God calls his people to be peacemakers. And if at any moment in our history of a nation or history of a people or in our own walk, this is a calling that we cannot afford to fail on. So the first text I want to show you is Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want to show you just throughout several scriptures, some of these you're probably familiar with, just how much God has called his people to be people of peace. Now, Jeremiah is interesting to me, partly because we know part of this text. This is the text uh, at graduation times. You put it on cards or mugs or things for kids. You know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to make you prosper. You know, we've read that. It's a nice little magnet to stick on your uh, refrigerator. But Jeremiah 29 is written to exiles. Jeremiah has been writing, warning people that if you don't repent, God's going to carry you off into captivity. And he warned them, turn back to God, quit worshiping uh, foreign gods, quit mistreating the poor and oppressing the outcast, serve God, and the people failed to listen to him. And so when God carries them off into Babylonian captivity in 587, here they go, and they get there, and then they show up, and you've got false prophets walking around saying, look, we're not going to be here that long. We're gonna, it's just going to be a little bit, and God's going to take us home. And Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah writes to the captives, and he says, no, get comfortable. You're going to be there a while. But listen to what Jeremiah says about where the people are and what their calling is. Jeremiah 29 and verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. They've been drug away from Jerusalem, carried off in a Babylonian captivity, and Jeremiah says, get comfortable. He's going to go on and say, plant fields, build houses, let your kids marry. But pray for the peace of the nation that you're in. You think that would be easy to do? After what they did to Jerusalem, what they've done to the, to the Jewish people. And Jeremiah says, you pray for the peace of these people. God's people are called to be people of peace. Now, what struck me about this text, as I was looking through it this time, is Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was one of those captives. And in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel references, I've been reading Jeremiah. And, and I've done the math, and I figured it's about 70 years. Jer uh, Daniel's an older man by this time. But if Daniel has been reading Jeremiah this whole time, 
And if Jeremiah 29 has kind of framed the way Daniel lives his life, consider the way Daniel conducted himself in Babylonian captivity. You remember the stories of Daniel? Daniel did not compromise what he believed. He did not back away from the calling of God to serve only God, to worship only God. And Daniel did not try to tear apart the country he was in. Daniel was a man of peace. When they brought him and his friends first in Daniel chapter 1, the king said, we've, uh, we've got something for you, you're going to eat our food. Daniel said, no, we'll stick with our diet. He didn't, he didn't raise a fuss about it. He just said, we're going to do our thing and we'll bless the kingdom. And then after Daniel interprets a dream, he's a blessing to the king, he's put second in command. It's almost as if Daniel read Jeremiah 29, was told to pray for the peace, and that's exactly what he does there in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. I just wanted you to see this text, Jeremiah 29, because God's people, even in the midst, even in the midst of captivity, were told to pray for the peace of your nation. Now there are some other texts. These are you're more familiar with, probably. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. Doug referenced this in his prayer as if he had looked at my notes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. In the midst of the Beatitudes, and remember the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus telling you this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdoms of the world. In the kingdom of God, the blessed, the happy are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called what? Children of God. And the reason I think that's connected with that phrase, children of God, is because you'll look like God. You'll be like God. When you bring about peace, that is the thing God's family does. They were accustomed in Rome to Pax Romana. If you hearken back to 7th grade social studies, Roman peace. How was Roman peace brought about? With a sword. It's peaceful as long as you do what we say. You see, Rome was the original thinkers of peace through strength. They were peace through strength slash fear. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of God... You're peacemakers, but not the way you're accustomed to hearing about it. The same sermon, chapter 5 and verse 23, Jesus illustrates this. He says, if you're going to make a, an offering, you're standing there, you're waiting in line, and then you realize that your brother has something against you. You leave your gift at the altar. And you go and first be reconciled to your brother. And then you can offer your sacrifice. Now that's actually kind of a funny picture. I mean, you're standing there with your goat or whatever you've come to offer, and you realize someone's, uh, someone's upset at me. And you just walk off and leave your goat at the altar. First, before anything else, the highest priority you have as a member of the kingdom of God is to make peace. This is a big deal to God. And then we've talked about in our classes, same book, Matthew chapter 18. If a brother has something against you, 
what do you do? You go to them. And we've talked about this in class. You've heard me and you've heard Jim talk about this. Our first response in our culture is to be mad and have nothing to do with anybody, right? You've upset me. So I'm not going to answer your phone. I'm going to see you walking down the hall and I'm going to avoid you. I want nothing to do with you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to seek them out. I want you to go to them. What if that doesn't work? Well, if that doesn't work, I've tried. They don't want peace. I'm done. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. Go again. Take two or three people with you. Well, they still won't listen. I'm done. I don't have time for these people. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. See if you can get the community to help bring about peace. Peace is not just some secondary thought of God. People of God are defined by peace. There's another text, Ephesians chapter 4. Right now, most of you are thinking, I'm glad this sermon only has one point. Ephesians chapter 4. Here the church of Ephesus is divided. you got Jew and Gentile. They're not getting along or they're struggling. Jewish people think that the Gentiles who moved in when they had to leave the area have taken over the church. And Paul writes the book of Ephesians to say, no, everybody in Jesus Christ is equal before God. Your heritage doesn't change that. Your DNA doesn't change that. All blessings are in Christ. And so he works with them and he struggles with them to come to this realization. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You do everything you have to do Think about how many other things in Scripture are worded like that. Do whatever it takes to keep the peace. God's people are people of peace. And then there's this one. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. This is Paul writing to a young preacher, giving him some very needed advice. And I think sometimes the advice that's given has sometimes been distorted a little bit. It's, it's interesting. Here's his, here's his words. Here's his advice. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now push pause there for a minute. And if I were to ask you, what do you think Paul means by youthful passions? <laughs> Young man, it's obviously girls. But I don't think in this context that's the problem. If you keep reading, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I think, in 2 Timothy 2, the youthful passions is this desire and passion to be right. 
and the passion to argue until the other person bows in subjection and says, I was wrong, I should have never questioned you. In our culture, we even have this image, a mic drop moment, right? It, that, boy, that's tempting to say something and no one can respond and the, and the audience is just in awe that such wisdom has been dropped upon them. And Paul tells Timothy, flee from that. Don't get caught in this trap of arguing and fighting over worthless, senseless stuff. Because you are a servant of God. And what has God called his people to be? People of peace. Now, all of those texts are a warm-up to this text in Romans 12. Peace is not built on compromise and conformity. Because this section of Romans, chapter 12, the whole book of Romans pivots in chapter 12 at the beginning. It's a verse we all know, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And that next phrase sets Paul on a path through the rest of the text, by the renewing of your mind. Part of the problem in Rome is that people's minds have become so debased, chapter 1, that they could care less about God, they could care less about everybody else. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, you've got to change the way you think. Don't conform, but you've got to change the way you think. And that leads him to this text in Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. The old way of thinking says if someone persecutes you, you fight back and you curse them. The old way of thinking says if someone is rejoicing, you ought to be jealous and covetous and find out how they got what they got. The old way of thinking says if someone is weeping, you stay out of that. I don't know what their problem is, but I don't want any part of that. The old way of thinking says life is about competition. How do you get ahead? How do you outdo the other person? The old way of thinking says don't have anything to do with the little people, with the people who have nothing to give you, no way to advance your career or your image. And the old way of thinking says if someone has hurt you, you find a way to hurt them worse. But Paul says, be renewed in the way you think. So when someone persecutes you, bless them. When they rejoice, you rejoice with them. When they mourn, you mourn with them. Live in harmony with everyone. Associate with the lowly. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And let's try something new. Let's overcome evil with good. Now that's a different way to live. That's a different way to look at life. Paul says because God has called his people to be about peace. And what Paul is suggesting is what Jesus has suggested is that you break the endless cycle of controversy. Now, I told you I'm kind of a nerd about politics and all this stuff. I've been struck 
if any of you have been so nerded out that you've watched any of this trial, something interesting has happened. In the closing arguments of both sides, they did something that in debate and rhetoric is actually kind of effective. You take something your opponent said and you replay it to prove that they now agree with you. And both sides did this. You know, back in the previous impeachment, I want you to see what this congressman said. And they play it. And lo and behold, what they said back then is actually what we're saying now. And the irony of that is, they're saying to everybody, see, they agree with me. They've changed their mind. But what none of them are saying is, and I used to argue their side now. Every time they play one clip to show their hypocrisy, they're showing their own hypocrisy because they said the opposite too. And if you watch the way our politics happen, it's almost as if when one party's elected and House or Congress or White House changes hands, they just walk across to the other side and say, here's our talking points and notes from the last time. You take them, I'll take yours, and now everybody starts arguing the opposite side. Has anybody else noticed that? It's ridiculous. And Paul says, stop the cycle. Stop the conflict. God has called us to be people of peace. Not at any cost. Not for just any reason. In fact, Paul will call us more than anybody, when there is injustice you better believe God's people speak out against injustice because injustice brings about discord, not peace. God does not call his people just to sit down and let people be abused and let people be hurt without offering a word of correction. But God does call his people to stop the cycle of controversy, to be people of peace. Now, most of us have somebody or someone in our life that has this spirit about them that anytime there's conflict, when that person walks in the room, it's almost as if the conflict de-escalates. Do you know someone like that? People are in conflict, there's disagreement, people are on edge, but you can think of someone in your life who when they walk into the room, the temperature lowers. But you also know someone in your life that's the opposite. If they're present, there's going to be drama. They will find a way to fight. They will find something to be unhappy with. They will look for something to cause a riot because their life has no meaning unless we have something to fight about. And there are people, when they walk into the room, you think, if you had not shown up, life would be far better. Now, you've got those two images in mind, right? Which one does God call you to be? When you enter the room, when there's conflict at work, and you show up, what happens to the conversation? Over and over and over again, Scripture says God's people are called to be peacemakers. Not compromisers, but peacemakers. 
Now what we're going to do for the rest of the month is we're going to talk about some practical ways that we do that. There are ways that we carry on conversations. There are ways that we choose our battles. There are things that God calls us to do and has shown us. But I just wanted tonight to make this one point. You and I are supposed to be people of peace. That's not just a sidebar to the New Testament or a a good idea. You know, as you're following Jesus, you might try to throw this one in too. This is what we're supposed to be about. Wherever we work, wherever we worship, wherever we live, when we go to McDonald's and they bring us our Happy Meal, And they've not given us a Happy Meal. They've given us a quarter pounder. God says, be peaceful about your next conversation. When you hand that lady or man at Walmart a $20 bill and they give you the wrong amount of change, God says, I want the next words out of your mouth to help bring about peace. When your spouse looks at you and says, why are you an hour and a half late? God says, I don't want you to sleep on the couch tonight. I want you to bring about peace. When your own children do something, God says, I want you to bring about peace. Now, that's not going to always happen with the very next thing you say. There's going to have to be correction, hypothetically speaking, of course. You're going to have to be conversations. You're going to have to work through challenges. But your ultimate aim, God says, is to bring about peace. Not to escalate. Not to retaliate. Not to frustrate. But to bring peace. When you scroll through your Facebook tonight and you see some knuckleheaded comment that somebody makes, God says, I want your response to bring about peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's supposed to be you and me. That's supposed to be the covenant of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus shows up to bring about the kingdom, one of the things he's called the prince of peace. And God says, I want you to be a child of God. And to do that, you've got to be a peacemaker. Paul said of Jesus, he is our peace. And he came to preach the gospel of peace. That's your task this week. That's your task tonight, when you get home, when you go to work, when you go to school. How do you and I bring about peace where God has placed us? So next week, and the week after that, we'll wrestle how to do that. Because you'll note in Romans 12, it's not easy. If possible, Paul says, 
if possible. It's not always possible. As much as it depends on you, it doesn't always depend on me. You may try. You may give it every effort. And if it fails, Paul says, don't let it fail because of you. If possible, as much as it depends on you. So, I offer the invitation of Jesus, who Paul again said, is our peace. Peace with God and calls us to be at peace with our brothers and sisters and our world around us, as much as it depends on us. If you need to respond to the invitation tonight in any way, for any reason, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.